Today is Sunday, April 5th, 2020, and this is episode 249, just seven episodes away from the magical 256, by the way, of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Jerry, on day number 738 of my quarantine. It does feel like it has been forever, doesn't it? (laughs) I hope you and all of our listeners are doing well and staying sane and safe and healthy. Uh, we're doing okay. We had a we had a bit of a scare over here. It turned out not to be uh, not to be COVID, but you know which mm. which was fortunate. But um, uh, yeah, it, this is uh, scary times. So absolutely, take take care of yourselves and. Uh, my hats off to everybody who is, uh, you know, first responder slash uh, ER person, hospital you know, hospital worker slash grocery store employee. Indeed, indeed. I was also thinking all those people who are like, you know, dressed as techno goths with their, you know, hardcore face masks. Look how, uh, you know, ahead of the times they were. That is true. That is true. My son is um, in the process of three D printing uh, masks for. Uh, a local doctor, which is pretty interesting. Wow. Sign of the times. It is. It is. You know, it is also interesting to me how regulations suddenly vanish when there's an emergency. Yeah. Well, and basically it's, you can have the mask or not. Right. Which one right. do you want? But it hasn't gone through FDA testing and approval. Which one do you want? But it needs two years of blind testing. In clinical study. I don't know if you've seen it, but the, uh, the I, I'm also fascinated by the ventilators. You know that for those of you listening in a hundred years, right, and, and don't have the context. You know, where there's a dramatic shortage on ventilators, which I'm sure in a hundred years will sound really barbaric. But um, you know, they're using those uh, the manual uh, bags that that uh, you primarily use in like a ambulance. Um, with a windshield wiper motor to uh, to compress it, <laughs> which you know again definitely not FDA certified, right? But again, it, you know, if necessity is the mother of invention. If the person's going to die, otherwise, I, I I don't know what yeah, other choice you have. So I do I do find it cute that you think somebody's going to be listening in hundred years. I don't think anybody's going to listen to us in three days. So you know. Uh, I don't know. Not, not not because they're dead, just because nobody listens to us. True. That's true. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. I as I often say on Twitter, I have no expertise whatsoever in these matters, so I I try not to opine on them. Yeah. So so all I can say is number one, stay home. Number two, wash your hands. Number three, when you go outside, wear a mask. It's 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 actually pretty frustrating. That most of the rest of the world figured that part out that, you know, so long before we um, in the, here in the U.S. decided to, to embrace it. And I don't think that's uniquely us, right? I, I think, oof, how do I say this without getting into politics? 
It's not uniquely an, I, a U.S. problem, right? Most of Europe no, had the same issue. I think that hmm, I don't know. Let me put it this way: I don't know. I'll say that again: I don't know for sure. But I have read some compelling arguments that that was done specifically to ensure that the frontline medical workers got enough masks first. Yeah, I think that. Well, in in a way, I think that certainly is likely true because as we see now and again for the people in 100 years right dramatic drastic crisis levels of 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 shortage of masks right now Um, but there could have been a there could have been a better way right and i think part of the reason that there's a current shortage right now is because we didn't take earlier enough earlier precautions and so now we have this this balloon of infections, which could possibly have been mitigated, but you know, it's all this. All this stuff is easy to talk about in hindsight, in right. You know, um, you know, but who knows? And, and I think that there's, I think you're dealing with a, you know, much like we deal with IT security, which is highly complex and nuanced. You're dealing with very complex medical issues that I don't think the average person in general is equipped to fully grasp and fully internalize. And so, and we also live in a culture that only responds to bumper sticker level messaging. So it's true. It has to fit in a 20 second soundbite, right? Right. We're not good at nuanced messaging, saying it or consuming it uh, on this topic. Uh, So I don't know. I, I, Again, I try really hard not to talk about something I don't have a good knowledge base in, and I let try to let the experts because there's. It's amazing to me how many people who were constitutional scholars just a few months ago are now epidemiologists uh, on Twitter. It's it's amazing to me. It's fair, but they're also still constitutional scholars, <laughs> right? Because now we got another set of constitutional issues that have come up uh, in terms of some of the the laws or. or Reactions taken by federal, state, and local government, uh, which, again, um, I, I don't get political publicly, so I'm not going to comment on. But um, this is not what our show is about, but it's anyway. what is on everybody's mind, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Be well. You know, write down, your, write down the lessons you've learned from, uh, from your pandemic response. Um, oh, right, because, you know, that actually does bring up an important point. Be careful of that because if we shift all of our planning to the next pandemic and we don't have another pandemic for a hundred years, are you fighting the last war? No, but I think there's, I think there's lessons that are to be learned here, even though, even if it's not planning for an all out pandemic, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I think we're, but I, yeah, I think people can over rotate into assuming the same. Oh, and we will. I mean, make no mistake. Yeah. Make no mistake, right? We, as businesses, as governments, as societies, are going to, uh, you know, we're going to swing too far um, in, in the favor of planning for the next pandemic, which, you know, as we've seen, is, is maybe to some level, it, it would be prudent to be a little more prepared than we were, maybe. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I will just say... I hope that individuals take their own preparedness more seriously. Yeah. And and make sure that they 
could take care of them, themselves, their family, their friends and neighbors more effectively without having to wait or rely on the government. That's all I'll say. Um, but the, the only reason I caution against not over-rotating is, again, we all have finite resources and time. So if you're over-rotating on one problem, that means you're neglecting another. Yeah, and we true. still have to, as risk managers, understand what's the likelihood. Correct. But I mean, look, look anytime stuff happens like this, and, and, and I've seen it over and over and over and over again throughout my career, this will become the fixation, right? Everything is going to become about how do we improve our, you know, our response capability, our ability to handle a pandemic. That's, it's just inevitably going to be there. I think the thing that we have to figure out is how do we take a step back and make sure that we don't become too, I mean, to your point, become too myopic. And maybe there's an opportunity for us to make the thing we're going to go and be prepared for a little more abstract. So it handles different types of situations, which are more likely to happen, you know, rather than necessarily another uh, global pandemic like we have right now. So, but anyway, yeah. Hey, by the way, thoughts and opinions do not in any way reflect that of our employers. Just us. That is certainly true. And our pets. That's certainly true. But I do expect that um, everybody, including our employers, probably want you all to be safe and be well. So, I mean, unless you're important to the economy. (laughs) God, you always got to go for the butt, don't you? Anyway. Uh, Yeah. Just leave that. Just leave it. Just leave it. Just leave it. Okay. Just right. this one time. I so, so our first our first story for today comes from a new place. I don't think we've ever had a story from Tom's uh, Tom's Guide. And the title is Zoom Privacy and Security Issues. Here's everything that's wrong. This is not necessarily the kind of thing we normally talk about, but holy cow, this has been just everywhere in the in the media lately. And, and, you know, apropos to the discussion we've been having about pandemic, like everybody in their cat is now needing to do, you know, web conferences. And, and Zoom apparently is pretty popular or has become... Well, it has suddenly become very popular. It's become a very it's popular also become, platform. It's also become like that lady on air, in the movie Airplane that's freaking out and there's a whole line of people wanting to beat the crap out of her. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that scene. Yes. Yes. Everybody and stops if, and shakes her. Yes. Uh, well, then there's a line of somebody with a bat and a, and right, a crowbar right, right. And, a, and a gun. and a, uh, Anyway, if you haven't seen it, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's it's funny. It is. In a For us Gen Xers. Mor- morbid kind of way, yes. Um, anyway. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so they are absolutely the whipping post uh, for the you know, for the privacy and security community right now. And, and you found this article, this is a pretty good summary of, uh, I guess about a dozen different issues that they're facing right now. And, you know, it's, it's kind of all over the map. You know, one of the most prominent problems they've been having is this zoom bombing issue where, you know, basically there's really very little in the way of authentication. And so we have, you know, with with the rapid transformation from kind of in-place learning and working and whatnot to online, 
many organizations and people haven't really had a chance to adapt. And so they've had to like just kind of figure stuff out really, really fast. And in doing so, they do some things maybe that aren't the best from a security and privacy perspective, like let's say posting the Zoom link for their class or their community, you know, their their community meeting or their par- European Parliament or you know, British Parliament meeting, whatever. And um, and so now there's this, you know, there's hordes of people online that are organizing themselves to do these, you know, apparently what are called. Um, a Zoom raids where they, you know, everybody joins, uh, many people join a Zoom session in progress and they swear and curse and, you know, show pornography and and whatnot. And the, the FBI is now issued warnings about it and there is threatening, threatening people who take part in it that they're going to be prosecuted and just a, a, a mess. And, you know, and then that's that's kind of, well, you know, among the most pedestrian of the issues, there's others like a password stealing bug. There's a, a malware injection bug. There's um, issues with uh, iOS profile sharing. There's some end-to-end encryption misrepresentation, I think is the way I would say uh, the issue. There's a lot of, by the way, right now, like even as of today, there's a lot of people really consternating over zoom's encryption and uh and apparently zoom you know their their take is well you know it's working the way we intended it to we're not actually going to fix it we we just you know over we were overzealous in the way we described things marketers got a market man they do they do then there's uh there's a big flap about about the uh the zoom software on max and how it it actually intentionally bypasses some Mac security features, which, you know, is not the way it's supposed to be. And then the, then malware authors have figured out that they can actually use the Zoom installer to install itself, bypassing the same Mac security set <laughs> settings. Um, apparently, another, another awesome feature is that it, um, Zoom will be very helpful, by the way, in, in uh, trying to organize... Uh, profiles of people in the same organization into into like a, a directory and it and it does that based on your domain name and so like if I work you know so defensive you and I are on Zoom and we had defensivesecurity.org email addresses we would see each other but what happens if you're on uh, you register with a Gmail address well suddenly your contact list has all the uh, you know the the apparently Gmail uh, people or people using uh, Gmail email addresses with their profile pictures and and whatnot, and they're sharing data with advertisers and whatnot. Now, but here's the thing, right? Uh, aside from those, you know, like the malware security issues, which I, which I think they've already fixed, the platform is is actually pretty good. And and down at you know towards the bottom, they you know they kind of net it out and and they say you know should should we stop using Zoom? And you know their point was no. It's it's not a bad platform. You shouldn't be discussing corporate secrets, but if you're like holding a second grade class or your your community, you know, homeowners association meeting or whatever, you know, it's not it's, it the price is not bad and it works pretty well. 
Yeah. So many thoughts come to mind on this. Although I'll also add, I was just reading New York City Schools just banned it, uh, really? which I think is an overreaction. Uh, so I, I will say I'm not apologizing for Zoom, but I am disappointed in the actions of the security community on this one. I feel that it's not that the it's not that these aren't concerns aren't valid and warranted, but you know everybody kind of dogpiled on this company because they became suddenly very popular because they're easy to use, they're free for up to a hundred people, uh, and and the usability was just there. It's easy yeah. to set up, easy to use. You know, everybody it's pretty and reliable. Yeah. yeah, and non technical people had a good time, uh, easy time getting it going and. You know, this company went from such a – I think they had 1.1 million active users and now they're up over 100 million or something like in, in a span of two months. So first of all, kudos for them to being able to scale like that, uh, which is pretty impressive. But we, we suddenly had a whole bunch of information security researchers and whatnot jump all over this platform because it suddenly got very popular. And I think – probably irresponsibly freaked everybody out. It's not that these concerns aren't something we need to care about. It's not something that that these concerns don't need to be fixed. But I've heard from a lot of non-technical friends who aren't in our industry and they're like, I don't know what to do. Should I not use Zoom? Is it gonna is it gonna kill my cat? And I don't think that's warranted. I, right. I think, you know, this is a great example of in in a weird circumstance or in a tough situation usability people found a solution and then security showed up and you know spit all over it and we look like the guys who aren't trying or gals or whomever are not trying to help but to hurt and it felt like we came in came in and said well don't use zoom use this other thing right well not even that not a lot of people even had valid alternatives to offer people they just bitched and moaned no, about that, exactly that's what i mean Zoom. right that just yeah right and and so you know i'm not i'm not saying that these aren't valid concerns what i'm saying is that the way that this was handled and this is this is the mob mentality and it's not like you know we want a centralized control point but i think we didn't do ourselves a lot of favors here we took a we took a company that was offering a product that worked for a lot of people and and we assumed a threat profile or risk tolerance and, and then went and found things that were valid and things that were edge cases and things that were, you know, miscommunications or outright maybe fabrications in terms of end to end encryption. But we just piled all over this company. And I think we caused a lot of confusion. Now, at the end of the day, it's going to be a very secure platform. And these guys are getting the benefit of a whole lot of free, you know, security audits. Uh, but I think we as an industry look pretty, haughty and righteous in you know pissing all over something that's making a lot of people's lives easier uh you know i i let me also preface the next thing i'm gonna say with there's more to my comment so we we had this con we've had this debate throughout the industry for years and years and years and years so how do you handle exploits and bugs and that sort of thing and you know the term responsible disclosure gets thrown around i hate that term as much as I hate the term common sense legislation because it comes loaded with emotion 
And it says, you know, if you're not doing responsible disclosure, you must be being irresponsible. Or if you don't agree with this common sense legislation, you just don't have common sense. That's not true. And that's not fair because a lot of reasonable people have very well-reasoned counter arguments that have nothing to do with common sense or responsibility. So those sort of emotionally laden terms, I think, are disingenuous to the conversation. But it is a well-known term that we talk about giving a vendor the opportunity to fix something uh, before we go public with it. I don't know. In this case, we had a whole bunch of people use it. A lot of people probably who found these bugs felt that they owed it to those people to warn them right away where extraordinary circumstances. But I just, man, I think... I think we as an industry, uh, and we're, you know, it's, it's a bad term because really we're a whole bunch of subcultures all grouped together under the concept of information security, really just sort of fumbled this one. And I think we confused a lot of people and maybe didn't do ourselves much favor. Sorry, rant, rant, rant done. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'll tell you, I'm a little, I'm a little torn on this one because, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people in the security community and privacy community are are trying to minimize the harm to people right they're, they're you know, that's that's their you know, that's their mission that's why they're in this you know in this field and they they perceive that use of this software or in service it, it will conceivably or or will definitely lead to harm and i and i think part of the issue is the definition definitions of harm vary greatly across the world right now, especially in terms of privacy. And and so I think while, for instance, we can all agree that the ability to use Zoom to install malware on your computer universally is a bad thing, you know, that you know, that's a different discussion than let's say sharing data with advertisers in some parts of the world. You know that's viewed as a, you know, a, 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 a just a trade-off that people are willing to accept. And in other parts of the world, it is just unconscionable. And you know, similarly, the you know the leaking of email addresses and user profiles in, to some people's not no big deal. And in other places, it you know it is uh, my God, we have to burn this thing at the stake. And so so it's one of those kind of no true Scotsman type type things and it does I think confuse people and it's unfortunate that it happens right now as you point out. You know, they've had like a 100 times growth. I don't know what the, the the exact number is, but it's a huge growth because people have to carry on with their lives and this is helping them do it. It's unfortunate that these things weren't identified, you know, a year ago and fixed a year ago. Maybe the, maybe it took something like this to drive an, enough focus, you know, to 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 get them to actually pay attention to it. But you know, even even some of these things, like the encryption thing, they just said, you know what, this is the it works the way we want it to work, and we'll change the way we describe our encryption. We're not changing the way it works. They in other areas, they are fixing the issues apparently with you know, with malware and with the, the behavior on Macs and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, this is, I, I actually think this is becoming like right now, as we sit here today, I think Zoom is becoming one of the pieces of critical infrastructure in society right now, whether we like it or not. 
you know, my my sons, one's in college, one's in high school, they both use it, right? This is this is how they're learning now. By the way, you know, I, I again as an American, the whole sharing data with advertisers thing doesn't bother me as much as maybe if I were in in Europe somewhere. Um but it's you know, it, it it's how they're it's how they're going about their 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 business and and there really isn't a f- a feasible alternative for them uh, that was immediately available to use i guess is the what what i'm trying to say so and they had to make these a are decision. also the, these are also the same people who use facebook and it's <laughs> a very good point so yeah get on facebook and twitter and complain about the, the complain about the the tracking that zoom does right yeah, I, I, <laughs> this is why I have some confliction too, because I want vulnerabilities to be found and fixed. I want, you know, hardened infrastructure and all that kind of jazz. But I just feel like this was a whole bunch of teenagers running around going, look what I can break. Yeah, And well, I know we, that we may that. be unfair to a lot of people, but and I know this may upset some people, but I really feel that, I mean, my unscientific take on watching Twitter on this and news articles and then watching the reaction of the non-technical community is we didn't do them a favor. Maybe I, so, so I guess I'm, I'm a little, maybe I'm a little more uh, even keeled on this one. I, 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 I think the people who were finding these vulnerabilities were doing that, you know, they were doing it f- for what they perceive as the right purpose. Right. I, I don't. Sure. I don't think they were trying to be malicious, or I. I think they, from their perspective, I'm using my skills to try to better the world, especially right now when people are, uh, you know. But it, look, it's a complicated, tangled knot, and and it just left. It leaves people very confused. Um, and, and the only, you know, the only. Uh, the only way this would have been better is if these things hadn't exist these problems hadn't existed in the first place. So Well that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But all right. So we kicked that one just... kick that one in the teeth. Uh <laughs> so the next one next story comes from uh, Bank Info Security. This is another follow up to the uh, never ending saga of the Equifax breach. The title is Learn from How Others Get Breached Equifax Edition. So it, it I think we we talked about this a little bit after the um the charges were announced against the four uh the four uh people's liberation army in China the uh, officers of the PLA um you know that there's quite a lot of information came out in those uh in in the indictments but even more information has come out since then this is probably going to be one of the more analyzed breaches because there's been a Senate hearing or Senate investigation, a house investigation, you know, there's the, the government's in, investigated so that they can want, you know, file these indictments. And a lot of this stuff is, is now public record. And, and so you know, this is you know, more, more analysis of that. And I thought it was worth talking about. There's a, a couple of really interesting comments, really, um, I thought worthwhile comments to talk about in here. Uh, there, there's quotes from uh, Adrian Sanabria and then from Daniel Bellar 
in particular, you know, that we, we all know, hopefully, you, you know, that the, this was an incident back in 2017 where some people broke in, or they, they compromised a dispute resolution portal operated by Equifax. And the actor exploited a, a vulnerable version of Apache Struts, which had recently been patched. There, you know, was it was a not a zero day. It was a you know like a seven day or a fourteen day. I don't remember exactly. You, how. you mean a patch was recently released? Patch not was, that Equifax. Patch not that was, Equifax had patched it. Correct. The patch had been yeah, okay. recently released. Yep. And um, and so it wasn't it wasn't unknown to the world. And in fact, the um, you know the the Department of or DHS here in the U.S. had issued a, an alert. Uh, about uh, you know about it and it, that was received by Equifax and they actually uh, really apparently tried to take action on that and and did in fact uh, try to do some network scans but is you know as a lot of these reports pointed out the scanning they did did not identify that uh, that Struts was running on this particular application and and so there there's a couple of, of Great quotes, I thought, in here. Um, you know, one was from from Adrian Sanabria. Was you know that uh, these are a couple of tweets. They're, they're all tweets, right? That um, the struts, the strut. They looked at the struts vul- vulnerability very seriously. They just failed to find it in their environment, but not for a lack of trying. They did a lot of things right. Unfortunately, it didn't come close enough to balancing out what they did wrong, or were doing wrong. And and so that certainly is is true and there's a big list and i think this um this comes out of the a, a compilation of the different reports analyzing this of issues that that they got wrong and you know things like they didn't have asset management they didn't inventory their software and it kind of goes goes down they only retain their logs for 30 days things that you know look very obviously wrong, and of course, there you know the the ill-fated SSL visibility imply, uh, appliance, which uh, the, the the certificates for that had expired years prior, and and it was only this incident, by the way, was only detected once uh, you know, once the their security team actually or whoever uh, managed this device went and updated the certificates. And once they did that, then it started actually detecting the activity and they realized that they had been, uh, been compromised. But then, uh, so, so Daniel Bellar goes on and, and has a couple of, uh, of really, I think insightful comments and this, you know, goes like this. There are management solutions to technical problems. There are no technical solutions to management problems. Which is, you know, great, a great point. We, I think, tend to get enamored with technology, technology solutions, but we don't focus so much on, on the process side. And so, when you look at many of the failures that happen here, they really are management failures. And his, he goes on a little bit more and talks about. Uh, you know, brittle code. It says insecure brittle co- insecure brittle code and recurrent rich attack services are solely not fifty percent, not eighty percent, but a hundred percent due to upper management process failures. And and so that that kind of 
I, I, I infer what he's saying there is one of the issues, one of the reasons they didn't find struts in this portal was because it was a big, um, you know, big, complicated, brittle, old application, and it hadn't been uh, hadn't been updated or hadn't been overhauled and, and modernized, and so so the composition of it wasn't known, and they, they didn't know to to patch it. So, but when you go back up and you you, you look through the the list of of issues that were not working, they are all lack of of management or, or management failures, right? The fact that you don't have a good asset inventory or software inventory, the the fact that you you didn't update those certificates on on the appliance that you bought to do that function. Right, these are these are resource allocation. These are, you know, attention to detail problems. And by the way, I'm I'm coming to understand some of the challenges that organizations in in ways that I hadn't had before. But you still have to do it, right? It it is it is incumbent on you, incumbent on leaders, the security leadership, to make sure these things happen. It's not it's not enough. You can't just check a box and say, "Well, yes, we have a SSL visibility appliance." So, you know, that's not enough. You have to make sure that it actually works. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're spot on, and and I would kind of boil it down to a little, little different take, but with the same message, which is that I see a lot of organizations driven by limited resources having typically a, a ticket-based culture uh, to get things done. The problem I see with that in general is that you don't have the the staffing and the resources to get to really know your environment and your tools in in a day to day care and feeding way. Mm-hmm. So you know you look at something as simple as. Um, failing to update certificates or broken SSL visibility appliances. It's not that anybody went out of their way to to forget that or miss that. It's that most likely everybody was stretched thin working on a lot of different things uh, and they didn't have a lot of free time to explore and know their tools well. And I think it's very difficult to do this, but I think the ideal way you run a security tool set is by having subject matter engineers who have the free time to do free-form exploration of that tool and the tool's capability and, and get to know it so they know how it ticks and how it you know breathes and, and lives and will be able to detect when something is wrong as opposed to being in a break-fix, you know, project-to-project environment. Uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, you need the chief engineer in the enterprise who knows the ship well enough, he, he can hear when something's off. And we don't allow that anymore with our IT folks we or our IT security folks. We have them running from project to project to, to fire to fire, and they have no opportunity to be proactive. So the only way that some of the things would, would have gotten fixed is if there was some sort of, in general, tool or alert, again, back to a technology fix for a, a resource issue where the resources are not allowed to become truly subject matter experts with their tools in such a way that they detect problems before they become issues and aren't reliant upon some sort of other piece of technology to tell them that they have a problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's a fair point. But it's, yeah. but it's really tough to do. 
I've I've tried to run organizations like that, and I have failed repeatedly uh, to be able to build that much free time into my guy's day so that they can get to know the tools well and can look at the little nooks and crannies like this and go, oh, wow, hey, yeah, you look, that SSL certificate's expiring next week. I need to get some change control in or whatever. Uh, or, hey, you know, I better make sure this is still working right uh, and that this is alerting properly. How can I conceive of a test that makes sure all the all the components are fitting together properly? I think that there's a lot of value in having that sort of free-form time that companies just have never valued or gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it it is a it is a difficult I think uh, from a from a, a senior leadership perspective what you talked about is difficult because how do you know whether people are doing a good job or a bad job of getting familiar with their tools? You know that so so I, I well I think you could you could you could test with red teaming you could test it with yep yep. Um, other things similar to red teaming, like, you know, third party audits or, or whatever, but right. it is tough to quantify. It, you know when it's not there. Yes. It's tough to know when it is there. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I think that's, you know, honestly, that's what I think a lot of this comes down to is, uh, and the reason for the ticket driven culture is that we can, in, you know, we get increase the utilization of, of our employees at the expense of what you just described. But, you know, how do we make sure that if they're not working on tickets, they're actually doing things that are productive? That's the concern, right? There's, it's a, fundamentally, it's a trust and management issue, right? I think just doing the ticket, doing everything, you know, via ticket is the easy button because it means you don't have, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time figuring that those hard, the, the, you know, figuring out the, how to answer the hard questions. You can just, you know, you can just look at met- ticket metrics. Right. Agreed. So. And, and you know, it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. The, uh, the last story for today comes from ZDNet. The title here is Microsoft, how one Emotet infection took out this organization's entire network. Uh, so this is a, it's a story from a Microsoft report uh, from the, their team called Dart. It's um, anyway the the report is half interesting and half marketing, but I thought it was interesting enough for us to talk about um, the the actual report itself. It's a little hard to find. Um, I'll include a link to both the ZDNet article and the Microsoft uh, post because the link in the ZDNet article is broken. Um, so the, yeah, it's, this is this is a report from the Microsoft Detection and Response Team. It it apparently, by the way, refers to an event that occurred uh, to the U.S. city of Allentown, Pennsylvania, back in 2018. Uh, but they're not named by, uh, they're not they're not actually named. The the report calls them Fabricam. That's the pseudonym they refer to uh, uh, the the customer 
So the the report is called Full Operational Shutdown, and it describes the process this adversary went through to infect and, and effectively take down this customer's network. Um, before I before I kind of describe that, I one one thing I wanted to say is it's interesting. One of the most interesting things is the the objective of this actor is not clear, <laughs> right? You, so you'll you'll understand more when I when I get there. So um, the way this started out was uh, some advanced persistent threat actor sent an employee at the victim phishing email, and that email uh, apparently had a, either it had an attachment or it downloaded an attachment that had to run in uh, in cmd.exe. And it and it actually required inter- an interactive prompt, and so it was clever enough to convince the employee to follow the prompts, and and that apparently uh, led to the employee's credentials being stolen by the adversary. Uh, over the next couple of days, the adversary used those credentials to access the employee's email uh, inbox, and then started sending similar types of emails from this insider's email inbox to other people in the company. And and so that w- then it was kind of a lather, rinse, repeat kind of thing where they were collecting credentials and, and trying to continue moving a lot around laterally. Um, about five days in, they apparently had collected enough credentials and started... Uh, infecting the environment with Emotet um, about three days later. And I think that happened on a Friday, like late on a Friday. And then by Monday, everything was pretty much uh, gummed up to hell. And um, you know, they, like apparently all of their systems had their CPUs pegged. They said that the network was completely saturated. I don't know with what. Um, this was not a, as far as I can tell, uh you know, a, a ransomware type attack. It seems all indications are, and there's really no, nothing that I can find about the motivation other than for it to be a denial of service attack against uh, the organization. And apparently it was pretty effective. Um, micro, uh, sorry, this this victim, again, purported to be Allentown, Pennsylvania, had paid about a million dollars to get their... Um, their environment back up and running. So, you know, there's really not a lot that is super novel and, and complex about this. Um, but they, they do describe the recommendations. Microsoft did, does describe the recommendations because I think this this is not a an anomalous path for adversaries to take. Like we see this over and over and over again uh, with, you know, whether we're talking about, um, you know, not Petya or, um, you know, the the latest uh, Soto Nukibi, right? It, it's it's a very similar kind of, of um, a process that adversaries take and, and maybe some details are a little different, like they'll come in via RDP versus phishing the employee. But once they're in, things... Uh, Things tend to to uh, t- to continue in a very very common way. So 
um, one of the one of the recommendations Microsoft made was that you should filter your internal email, and and that's some something that I don't think a lot Fil- of organizations filter. do. Filter for what exactly? Well, for malware, but primarily yeah, okay. primarily for malware. So, so some sort of AV scrubber on on your mail server. Yeah. Yep. Um, oh, oh, by the way, Microsoft Microsoft will sell you one of those. Well, absolutely. I mean, this whole thing is a. I mean, let's not kid ourselves, right? This whole thing is a is an advertisement for Microsoft uh, services. So let's yeah, again, let's let's not kid ourselves. This whole thing, like this entire podcast for the last six years. Wow. Yeah, they're playing the long game, I guess. Wow. <laughs> I kid. I kid. They they have no affiliation whatsoever. Um. So that's so that's one. Uh, the second. Second category, which is a couple unique items. Uh, number one is is multi-factor authentication, right? So if uh, if the adversary hadn't been able to fish the email credentials, this would have been a lot harder to pull off, and arguably they would have had to do it f- through some other through some other way. Uh, they recommend having network visibility. By the way, I, I know this is an advertisement. You know, this is clearly an advertisement for Microsoft products like Defender ATP. But I got to tell you, like, if you have a network of any size and complexity and you don't have a CrowdStrike or a Defender ATP or a Carbon Black or or something like that, you're playing with fire. I mean, and not only have it, right, but be able to use it and monitor it well because there are just so many ways to get in and these tools actually do work quite well i mean this is an arms race and so my opinion on that will probably change in a year when they're much less effective but right now they're pretty good at at detecting anomalous activity uh and then and then they also recommend using the the laps tool the local administrator password solution which Boggles my mind that there are people or organizations that still don't do this um, because it's a common, you know. We- no, I think it's very, very common because the sysadmins are not security guys typically. And, no, and you're right. Yep. I mean, and that's no knock on them at all, but there's a huge silo divide there. So really simple tools that are built into the operating system are not the purview of the security team. They're the purview of the system and team. And typically, it's not worth the fight for a lot of organizations for the security team to go to the system and team and say, hey, can you turn this on? They'd rather go buy a third-party tool they could load to achieve that. And it's yeah. it's messed up and toxic, but that's what happens. Well, it's fair. I mean, but, you know, we, we, we saw this. Uh, this was a, most prominently a problem in NotPetya, right? That... that um, Credentials were harvested out of memory, and, and those credentials were common across uh, different different systems on the network, and just provides an easy means. And, and that, by the way, is the way that Emotet uh, propagates. You know, it's not using a vulnerability; it's actually using uh, legitimate credentials to propagate across network shares. Uh, and then, then uh, they also recommend pretty basic stuff: configuration management which is things like timely patch management, uh, antivirus definitions being updated. And then uh, and, and then finally, the one that I, th- I think the fewest people actually want to do, but probably one of the most important, 
is implementing best practices to segment administrative privileges. This is the, what, what they used to call Red Forest, and they, they now call it the uh, directory tier administrative model. I thought Red Forest was a much cooler name. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a giant pain in the ass. And, and administrators hate it particularly because it's, a, it's inconvenient. It makes their job harder and, and less convenient un, until, of course, they are having to work for three weeks on end because they've been completely compromised. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, this is super important um, and and really at the core of my deep seated hatred of Active Directory. And, and 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 as I've said in the past, it's not really Active Directory that I hate per se. It's actually how people use it. And and I think this is the thing that. You know, this is the solution to that, but few people actually want to do it because it is so uh, so problematic. Until you're willing to pay Microsoft a million bucks to come in and do it for you, and then apparently it's you know it's okay. So don't be well, like third, Allentown. Third-party consultants always get more credibility than uh, internal folks. Well, it's true, and and you know, like we talked about earlier, and in, in you know, in response. It, it it takes a crisis sometimes to change behavior. Um, although unlike a pandemic, I think this is going to keep happening over and over and over and over and over again. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that that's the that's the lesson. So, any anything else you picked up from from that? No, I I think you hit all the main ones that I had in my notes. Nothing else that really popped out. Good deal. You know, I did have one other thought on Zoom, though, Sure. <laughs> to go back to that. I promise you that a lot of companies went through third-party risk management with Zoom, and it passed with flying colors. Oh, that's probably true, yeah. How's that third-party management working out for you? Well, you know, it's all done on a spreadsheet, so it's... <laughs> I'm just saying. Encryption, check. I know, I'm being snarky. I know, I just... I, I see these absurd processes that we bow down to in the infosec world that I think are kind of, you know, but then somebody's okay, what are you going to do instead? Uh, then I start to have trouble to answer that question. So well, I'm being, it, I'm being what I, what I rally against, which is a complaining without a solution. In the, in the context of a, of an organization, I'll tell you, I would not use zoom, right? I, I wouldn't use zoom. To, to dis- there goes our sponsorship with to, Zoom. To, to to discuss confidential information, you know, with, you know, of of any particular consequence, but I wouldn't have any reservations. Assuming they have these, you know, the the malware issues fixed, I wouldn't have any reservations about using it to take an online class or something. That, that I, I personally, with, right? You know, catch up with family or yeah, exactly. Have an online drinking happy hour right i wouldn't have any but again I, i'm not in europe and i my context on privacy is different than other people and so you know we can't we can't assume that everybody values the same things in the same way so well uh, that's very enlightened of you yeah anyway that's the show for today uh you know i, I do want to just reiterate that I, I hope everybody stays well 
take care of yourselves, take care of your families, wash your hands, um, you know, be smart when you go out, stay home if you can until this, this, you know, blows over, be aware that, you know, it's not going to be over fast, right? We're going to be, we're going to be here for a little while. Um, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to peak, we're going to be going down and there's going to be lots of exuberance because we're all, we've all got cabin fever. By the way, it was interesting. I saw uh, Andrew Cuomo's uh, daily briefing today and he spent about half of his time talking about how to deal with cabin fever. I thought that was pretty funny. Didn't he also, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he say they're like in desperate need of COBOL programmers? Um, it. I don't think it was New York. I think that was New Jersey, but yes. Uh, yes. Somebody was like... They desperately need COBOL programmers right now. Yeah. So if uh, if uh, any any of our listeners here are COBOL programmers, I, I I'm pretty sure it was the governor of New Jersey tweeted out a desperate plea for uh, COBOL programmers. I don't know why, but I bet you it has to do with the um, the recent aid package that the government passed, where they have to uh, pass you know, print checks by the by the millions. Uh, and that that was delegated down to the state, so I suspect that's what what that's all about. But yeah, you know, COBOL is. Uh, I took a COBOL class a long time ago, and it's it's like um, programming language meets essay writing is is how I would describe it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to let that go. All right, carry on. <laughs> it's been a long time, you know, and I'm getting old, so. Um. Anyhow, that's that's the show for today. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves, and we'll talk again soon. Hey, you can follow me, Andrew Callot, on Twitter at Lurg, L-E-R-G, and Jerry at Malicious Link. He still has far more followers than me, and, and I beat myself up every night over that. So Yeah, he, yeah, he cries. He does cry himself to sleep, so you you should actually follow him. And, uh, and, and I've even bought, like, thousands and thousands of followers. They're all Russian bots, but... Still, you're out of me. Well, you got to try, right? I don't know why people follow me. By the way, I, it, it's, me either. It, it's got to be, it's got to be the whole llama thing. There's no other explanation. I'm totally uninteresting. Otherwise, you think llamas make you interesting? Really? Totally. Absolutely. Oh, Did you see that? Have, have you seen the the little AVI that 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 llama is is, is pretty is pretty suave, man. Yeah, so llamas. And and by the way, llamas are in right now. They are in. Uh, what, like as a survival food? What do you mean? There's llama. There's llama cakes. There are llama Cheerios. There are like there's llama everything like, right now. Llama flavored? Well, I don't think they're really llama flavored, but because that would be most unfortunate for llamas. Do you see what this pandemic has done to us? Right. Maybe we should go. We should. All right. Thanks, everybody. And by the way, Patreon donors, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. And, uh, especially in times like these, it, it it's always humbled and amazed me that folks are so kind to donate to us. Uh, but it helps us keep the show unsponsored and no ads and nobody uh, telling us what we can say not say. So uh, we like it that way. Uh, if if you are so inclined and and have the means, uh, we're always. Happy to have new yeah. new folks supporting us. Absolutely. We unfortunately because of the times we've we've lost a lot of well that and 
maybe because the the content has has uh, decre- decreased in quality or something. I don't know. We've we have lost a, a, a fair number of sponsors over the past couple of weeks, or not sponsors, but Patreon donors. And I, I attribute that, by the way, to the uh, impending 30% unemployment rate. So, uh, Well, that, and I was sick most of last year, and the show kind of suffered. And yeah, fair. Now, and by the way, I completely understood and, and, and no issue with those folks who, who had to withdraw their support. We completely understand it and, so, and, and respect that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.